The devil loves, he would love nothing more than for Christians to simply hear God's word and to sit there and do nothing about it because they remain untransformed. Let me say that again. You remain untransformed. The word of God has transforming power, absolutely. That's why we preach it, that's why we teach it. But it cannot stop simply at the ears. It must go down into the heart and affect the soul of every human being and cause us to move. And like John said last night, do something. Do something. When we come to God's word, the intention of it is to act upon it. That's why we take it seriously. That's why we teach it. That's why we read it. That's why we spend time in God's word. Not simply just to hear it, but to allow it to transform our life as we put it into practice. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Corinthians chapter 3 tonight well it says in verse 18 it says let no one deceive himself if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age let him become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God before it is written he catches the wise in their own craftiness and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile therefore let no one boast in men for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Remember, um, Paul's writing a letter of reproof and correction, but the first few verses, the first few verses or the first few chapters um, are all corrections. He's gonna, it's a responsive letter that he's writing. So people have asked Paul questions, and people of Chloe's house, a church that was meeting in this woman's house, begins to kind of rat out some of the stuff that was going on in Corinth. And some of the stuff that was going on was really jacked up. And some of the stuff we've already talked about, it was uh, preacher preference. There was divisions going on. People were backbiting and fighting. There was a, a guy in the church who was having an inappropriate relationship with his mom or his stepmom or whatever. Um, there, was, there were people going to communion services just for the food, which is jacked up. And so Paul's going to correct these things over time, but for the first six chapters, he's doing this kind of groundwork thing that he's laying a foundation. He's going to begin to correct and address some of the questions that they have. But it's a church that he planted. It's a church that he loved very deeply. And at the beginning of this chapter, he reminds them um, that he fed them with milk of the word, not solid food, because they couldn't handle it. And even now he says that you weren't able to handle it, that you should be eating meat, you should be kind of progressing in your walk with God, but you've refused to grow. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that um, in our walk with Jesus, there's a forward uh, propulsion towards growing and maturing in our walk with God. Now, the meat of the word, when we talk about the meat of the word, is not some hidden secret code. Um, like the Da Vinci Code, and this is how we find out these secret things about God. And he said, you should be eating the meat or the secret things, uh, the puzzles that are now being revealed. That's not what it's talking about. Milk is simply the, the truth of God's word, but the meat of it is actually doing what God says. 
To take what God's word says and then put it into practice is to um, graduate or mature or what a spiritual person, as he talks about, um, what a spiritual person does is he graduates or moves on and begins to walk out what he's hearing, what he's taking in from God's word and puts it in practice and makes it a part of his life. But he says to them, you couldn't do that because you're still carnal. And carnality is simply something that is, it is something that all of us are susceptible to. It's being a Christian, right? A carnal person or a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian is someone who believes in Jesus, is going to heaven, but lives as though they are not. It's a different kind of lifestyle, all heading to the same destination, but have a completely different kind of experience, in their life, in their Christian walk. And you can either choose, you can choose which kind of experience you have with the Lord. You can continue to walk in, in darkness. You can continue to walk in the flesh, dominated by your flesh. You're going to heaven, woohoo, but you have no victory over sin. You're still controlled by the flesh. Whatever the flesh says, you do. You're just driven by it. You're confused by it. You're a slave to it. All the while, Jesus is saying, you've been free from that. Why go back? And this is something that Paul wrote to a lot of different churches. In Galatia especially, they dealt with this going back towards the law, going back into those practices. The book of Hebrews is also written to those who would go back into religiosity. And he's making the point that Jesus is greater, he's better. This is what God has given to us, is access unto the Lord. But he says to them, you are still carnal, Corinthian church. You're still carnal. It's likened to, if you've ever gone to, um, has anyone like Red Robin? Anyone ever been to Red Robin? I love Red Robin, <laughs> mainly because of the food. But um, the fries are insane. They're ginormous. They look like giant fingers. I like to mess with my kids, and I'm like, Rawr! anyway. Um, but they look like giant fingers, and they're endless, right? Endless is something that, is godly, right? It's eternal, like God. It's so endless, bottomless. Uh, it never ends. It never runs out. These things continue on. It's something of, of heaven that we get to experience here on this earth, there at Red Robin. Now, um, if you've ever ordered and you're waiting and they just keep bringing you fries, and you're, at first you're like, what a nice appetizer, a snack, if you will, and you're just kind of enjoying that. But pretty soon you've gone through three or four baskets. Um, and you're so full of potato and salt and that awesome seasoning that they give you as well that when your food actually comes, you can only eat about three bites of it. Has that ever happened to you? Listen, that is carnality. Not when you're really doing that, but, but in our spiritual life, we are so full of the flesh that we cannot enjoy that which is meatier and more satisfactory and more enjoyable is because we're feasting on all these things that don't satisfy. It, it, it's not enough. I mean, we're filled, we're full, but it's not as rich as what it could be. And so that's why Paul says to them, do you not know, in verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the spirit of God dwells in you? And he's going to use that phrase over and over in the next few chapters, do you not know? And it's something, what that causes us to ask the question is, why didn't they know? 
If Paul is saying that this is something that is basic knowledge, that we should all know, that we've become the temple of the Holy Spirit, he takes them all the way back to the tabernacle, to the tent in the Old Testament, and he says to them, it was a foreshadowing of the indwelling Spirit of God and with his people, and that the temple was likened to the body of Jesus. Jesus even said, this tent, this body, if you tear it down in three days, I will raise it back up. Speaking of the temple. Paul says this is common knowledge to every Christian. We should know that this body is a temple. It's a place in which the Holy Spirit has come to dwell. Why is it that they didn't know? It is because carnality robs us of relationship. They were so robbed from their own carnality and flesh that they couldn't draw in as close as they wanted to to Jesus. But not only does it rob us of relationship, it robs us of revelation of who Jesus is. The book of Revelation, that word revelation means unveiling. It's a revealing of who Jesus is. And the longer we walk in the flesh and in our own carnality, the more we begin to have trouble seeing Jesus through the flesh. It's veiled to us. And that's why they didn't know. Because they were robbed of their own relationship with Jesus. They were robbed of closeness to God. And therefore, they could not see more of him. A deeper understanding of him. Carnality robs us not only of relationship, but it robs us of revelation. And therefore, he says, let no one deceive himself. Now, deception comes in many forms. There are six types. I googled it. It says, um, there's omission. Right? How many of you love this type of deception where you leave out key details? Okay. Um, you just, I'm not lying. I'm just not telling you everything, right? There's key omissions that we leave out. There's distortion. Distortion. We distort the truth. We make things bigger or smaller than they really were. We have half-truths, right? We have just flat-out blatant lies, That's also a form of deception. We have white lies and we have failed lies. But when looking at these are are all things that we can fall prey to. And the father of lies is the devil. And this is what he has produced in all of us. This tendency to lie or, or to deceive. But I think the greatest and saddest of all deception is self deception The book of James, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. James makes the point that if you just listen to God's word and you don't do what it says, you are deceived as to where you are in your relationship with Jesus. You're deceiving yourself. You're thinking that you're, you're growing or you're progressing. And he says, but all the while, you're still on the milk of the word. You're not progressing into the meat because you refuse to grow as you walk out and obey what God says. It is the condition of all of us is we all fight this fight of flesh where we don't want to do what we're told to do, right? Yes, yes, very, very good. Yes, absolutely. You tell me what to do, and my first reaction is, don't tell me what to do. 34 years old, I can do whatever I want. And I say, yes, dear, absolutely, I'll do whatever you ask. You know what I mean? (laughs) There are things that we are deceiving, you're deceiving yourself. 
He says, therefore, lay aside filthiness, the overflow of wickedness, he says, in James chapter, chapter 1. Receive with meekness, meaning under control. Receive what God is saying, this implanted word into your heart, meaning let it stick and therefore extend out through your members and begin to walk out what you say you believe. Because if you don't, James says, if you simply hear God's word and instructions, but you don't put them into practice as a part of your life, you are kidding yourself. You're making a fool of yourself. Then going to church and reading your Bible is pointless if you refuse to receive it and to do it. Just hearing it doesn't, doesn't satisfy. It doesn't do the trick. We need to do what God's word says. He says that you really, if you, are you really believing in God? The reason we don't do what God says a lot of times is not just our own rebellion, is because we do not believe that God is as good as he says that he is. That God will do exactly what he says that he will do. That the blessings found and the promises of walking in his ways, we do not truly believe that he will come through. And the sad part is you're lying to yourself about your faith and your relationship with God. But this warning is about the deception of wisdom. It's like self-deception, like I've said before, it's like believing your own magic trick. Right? That's, that's sad, isn't it? When you're blown away by your own illusion and you know that it's just a foam ball that you, foamed, you know, folded up into your sleeve and you're like, it's amazing. It's really disappeared. It's in your sleeve. You know, that's self-deception. It's that ridiculous. It's that sad. You are fooling yourself. And, and the father of that is Satan himself. The devil loves, he would love nothing more than for Christians to simply hear God's word and to sit there and do nothing about it. Because they remain untransformed. Let me say that again. You remain untransformed. As you sit there and listen, although listening is fantastic, you should listen to God's word. We should read God's word. But the devil would love for it to stop right there because he knows that if you begin to practice what God is telling you, your life will be transformed. So fine, hear it all you want. The word of God has transforming power, absolutely. That's why we preach it, that's why we teach it. But it cannot stop simply at the ears. It must go down into the heart and affect the soul of every human being and cause us to move. And like John said last night, do something. Do something. When we come to God's word, the intention of it is to act upon it. To listen to what God is saying and what his spirit is telling you. Because he's going to tell you something different than the person next to you. Every time we come to the word, God's going to speak specifically to you about something specific in your life. And he wants you to know something. And he wants you to know something about his word and about him. And he wants you to act upon it. And so when we come to his word... That's why we take it seriously. That's why we teach it. That's why we read it. That's why we spend time in God's word. Not simply just to hear it, but to allow it to transform our life as we put it into practice. Paul says here, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And that sounds like something out of Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? It's a warning here about the deception of wisdom. 
in order to glorify God, and the whole point of, of this message and the whole point that Paul is saying is here, how do we glorify God? I, I would say that all of us, if you're walking with Jesus, if, if that's your, you know, the center of your life, that's what your life revolves around, then your goal is ultimately, right, I want to I glorify God with my life. Would anyone say that? Yeah, like, I, w- I would like to do that. It's kind of like my, kind of like my thing. I want to glorify God. I want God to, to be glorified in my life and what people see in my life. I want them to give God glory because, because of the miraculous change and transformation, right? We'd all say that, I think, as, as believers. But as he is making this point, how do we then glorify God in our life? He says, if anyone seems wise, glorifying God by pursuing True wisdom, that is how we first glorify God, is by following or pursuing true wisdom. And Paul's being a little sarcastic here. He says, if anyone considers himself wise, or if anyone among you seems to be wise, he knew. Of course they thought they were wise. It's one of the reasons they were dividing. It's one of the reasons they were fighting with each other, is they thought they were better and smarter than each other. They heard different speeches and different things and thought that is what was elevating their own wisdom. And that was one of their problems. But how do we glorify God? The Bible says become a fool in the eyes of the world. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. We talked about it a week or so ago. That normally when we start a job, we work at the bottom to work our way up. And we're working towards greatness, aren't we? That's the goal. We're going to work through this company. We're going to move our way up. We're going to get promoted and all of that. And that's fine and good and well. But in the kingdom of God, serving is the greatest. It is greatness. So the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. So how do we glorify God? Becoming a fool in the eyes of the world. How does that make you wise then? If you read that verse, it sounds ridiculous. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Let him become a fool in order that he may become wise. How does that make you wise? Becoming a fool in the eyes of the world. How does that make you a wise person? It's by forsaking the world system. It's by forsaking the world system. And what the world says is this is the way in order that we gain wisdom. And this is how we make our way in the world. He says, if you want to truly become wise, then become a fool in the eyes of the world. Paul will later say, if people think we're crazy and out of our mind, then fine. It's for the sake of God. All glory be to God. Wisdom of this world that, that is the same in the book of Exodus when the, t- the tabernacle being built, uh, all of the skilled craftsmen were called to use their skill to build the tabernacle. Wisdom is something that we all desire, something that's good, right? When we talk of that word wisdom, in the book of Proverbs is this literature of wisdom, a compiling of different sayings and different wise sayings from Solomon. But, but the purpose of wisdom, it's the word that means skill in the book of Exodus. It's this skill of living. Wisdom is the skill of living and being able to live well in God's world. And so we all need wisdom, but there's another wisdom that is offered and it's the wisdom of the world. There's this other type of knowledge that we can pursue other than that of God's word. Wisdom is the skill of living as a craftsman would would use the right tool for the job. Wisdom is the school or or the skill of living in God's world. Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. 
There is a wisdom that this world goes by and seems wise, but in fact, it's foolish. It's foolish. It's this idea sometimes of secular humanism, if you've ever heard that term. Secular humanism is the ideal of our world. And this idea is mankind itself as a part of an uncreated, eternal nature. Its goal is man's self-remediation without reference to or help from God. That's secular humanism. I don't know if you watch the news ever. It's kind of a big, fat waste of time. Um, knowing that it's all <laughs> kind of propaganda and all that stuff. And Anyway... But I don't know if you remember a few weeks back, um, there's a news anchor from CNN, and he said this. If you believe in one another, and if you do the right thing for yourself and your community, things will get better in this country. You don't need help from above. It's, in, it's within us. In one sentence, he just summarized the complete ideal of the world that we live in. Secular humanism. We don't need God. We are self-made, self-helped. We don't need anything from above. It's within us. Do you know what that's called? It's called deception. But it's also called self-worship. It's self-worship. We ourselves are God. And we don't need any help from without. We ourselves are our own God. It's, it's sad to say that this is the wisdom of the world that's being embraced. That you don't need help from God. A higher power? A higher power is, is in you. You are your higher power. And your spirit animal is this penguin that you, you know, pray to or whatever. <laughs> stupid thing. This is the wisdom of the world. It's a lie of the devil. It will be like, right? What did the devil say? I will be like the most high God. The first ever secular humanist, the devil himself. I will be my own God. I will be worshipped. Um, Paul said, I'm determined, right? In such a contrast where Satan says, I will be like the most high God. And Paul says, I'm determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. The wisest thing I can do is to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Nothing that this world has to offer me. There's nothing, no, no sense of wisdom from that type of world where we, we make our own mind, we make our own luck, we make our own way. Listen, he says, I want nothing to do with that. All I want to know is Christ and him crucified. I'm not going to be sucked into this disgusting river of the world. In verse 19, he says, uh, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. God's assessment here of the world's wisdom. He quotes from Job chapter 5, verse 13, and also Psalm 94, verse 11. And this is God's assessment of the world's wisdom. It's nothing. It's nothing. Verse 20 and 23, it says, let no one glory... Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. How prone we are. Paul makes, makes this point. He says here, therefore, right, in light of what we just said, that God's assessment of this world is, is 
He catches the wise in their own craftiness. He says, there, there is no real wisdom in this world. In light of that, therefore, he says, let no one glory in men, which is the exact opposite of the world that we live in, in the secular humanist idea that we don't need God. We are our own God. We'll worship ourselves. I mean, it's something that man has dealt with for a very long time, but how prone we are to glory in men. How prone we are to glory in men. Have you ever been to a sporting event? Um, yeah. Or actresses or actors, and we're like, oh my gosh, they're there. Standing there in a suit. Um, has anyone ever fangirled really hard? One time I ran into John Elway. Do you guys know who John Elway is? I was in a, a liquor store. No, that doesn't sound right. I was in a convenience store buying candy. <laughs> um, I wasn't buying the other stuff. I was in a liquor store, and John Elway turns around. And, you know, growing up in the, you know, 80s and 90s, like, John Elway. It is John. And I even said, uh, <laughs> I said, are you John Elway? <laughs> Stupid thing to say. And he goes, Yeah. And I said, the John Elway? <laughs> and he took his stickers bar and walked out. But it's so funny how, how quick we are to like glory in men. I look at, just look at this last year when Kobe Bryant died, as sad as we all were, okay? As sad as that was and how difficult, like that was a sad thing for his family and all that stuff. The amount of like outpouring of his loss compared to other people that have given their life in, this, in, in, in other things, whether it's law enforcement or military and things like that. I mean, the imbalance of that sometimes. We, we're so quick to glory in someone who can dribble a basketball or throw a football really far or, or dance real well, and you're like, wow. How quick we are to glory in these people. And Paul says, that is, that's, let no one glory in the flesh. These things are passing away. They've all been created by God. We value the gifts and honors of men more than the gifts and the honor of God. Now we need to hear, like Paul says, let no one glory in men. It's a great reminder. It's a good reminder. Let no one glory in men. For all things are yours. To say that I am of Paul or I am Apollos is to have a view that is too narrow, too constricted. Both Paul and Apollos belong to you. The whole universe is yours in Christ. He says, you're selling yourself short. Paul, Apollos, who are we? Christ belongs to you. You have Christ. You belong to him. He is yours. He has laid hold of you. Now lay hold of him. How much more and greater is Christ than us? He says, why? Even death is, is ours. You know that death doesn't, doesn't own you? If you're a believer in Christ, that death has no power over you? You may stop breathing on this earth, but it's your last breath here and your first breath in heaven forever and eternity with Christ. Even death itself, he says, is ours. It's our servant, not our master. Death may be to us as the angel who touched Peter in Acts chapter 12, causing his chains to fall off and leading him through a gate that opens by itself into real freedom. All are oars, uh, all are yours. This is Christian liberty. And he says, and you are Christ, and this is Christian responsibility. And that's where we're going to end, um, because chapter four kind of switches gears. And so, um, yeah, 
We have, we have such liberty in Christ. There's so much more in Jesus than just what this world has to offer. And there is so much more responsibility that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at next time we're together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We could read your word. And Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that you offer in your word. Lord, we want to be those, um, like, was, like, like Paul said, let no one glory in men. We want to be those that boast in our Lord. And I love, I love that Paul just shifts all the glory back to Jesus. And Lord, for those that are called to, to serve you and to glorify you with our life, Lord, may we be those that always just pass the glory off to you. Anything good that comes from our life, anything that you do in and through us, we know it's because of you. And so may people see Jesus, not us. And may we be the first to say glory be to God. All praise be to God. And so, Lord, as we worship you, as we sing to you, um, God, we want to just have that in our mind. We don't want to boast in the flesh. We want to boast in what God has done in and through us. We want to rejoice because of the salvation that we've been given. We want to rejoice in the transforming power that has come from hearing your word and then doing what you've said. Just simply obeying. And so, Lord, we, we pray, God, would you fill our hearts, fill our, our minds with who you are and continue to transform us by the renewing of our mind. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.